If you take your Bibles this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 14, 15, and 16. Let us give attention to God's word this morning. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, left us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another opportunity this morning to study your word We ask again for the guidance of your Holy Spirit as we open your word this morning. You know, Lord, uh, you know us. You know uh, how weary and discouraged and and even callous we can become as, as we walk as strangers in this world. We pray that you would apply your word to our lives to strengthen and to sustain us. Fill our eyes with Jesus and our hearts with love for him. It is in your name that we pray these things. Amen. For those of you who were able to to join us on Wednesday night for our study of Jude, verses 24 and 25, you may recall H.B. Charles in the video we watched telling the story of a little boy who was taking a walk with his father and he was holding on to his dad's hand very tight and he was very proud of that. And as he walked along, he kept tripping and, and stumbling and, and even falling. And, and after uh, a little bit, he got sort of tired of that. And he looked up at his dad and he says, Dad, I have a, a better idea. Instead of me holding your hand, why don't you hold my hand? And of course, his father looked down on him and smiled and grabbed his hand firmly. And from then on, the little boy never stumbled or, or fell again because his father was able to catch him. And in many ways, that's a great picture of the Christian life. God is able to keep you when you're not able to keep yourself. Be it from sin, from error, whether it be from temptation, God is able to keep you. And, and this is important because the Christian life is, is not easy. I know there are many preachers out there that will tell you otherwise, that will preach that you can have your best life now, or, or they're preaching some kind of prosperity gospel, you can name it and claim it and have what you want. But the reality is, is that that's not what the Bible teaches. And if you don't believe me, I encourage you just to read your Bible. And don't just pick out verses here and there, but just read it through and see what it says. And, and you'll see that the Bible talks about it. even like the Apostle Paul writes to one of the churches, and he says that if you're a Christian, you will suffer. The Christian life can be very, very difficult, um, even though some people might think otherwise. It sort of reminds me of a young woman who came to her pastor and was sharing with her pastor how one of her co-workers had belittled her Christianity, and she had said that her Christianity was an escape. It was a crutch from the difficulties of real life. To which the young lady said to her co-worker, she said, an escape? Uh, you try to live as a Christian. You try to wage war against the desires of the flesh. You try to live as an alien in a strange land. 
And then you come and you tell me whether Christianity is easy or not. And the reality is, is she was right. You know, we have an enemy who is trying to, if you want to use the language of Jude, of stumbling, he's trying to trip us up. Uh, Peter says that Satan is a lion that's seeking to devour us. He, he's seeking to sabotage our faith. And as we look to the letter of Hebrews and to these believers, we see that these believers were people who had experienced Satan's work in their lives to discourage them in the face of life's difficulties. The difficulties that all Christians go to go through at one point or time another in their lives. And so the author here charges his readers to press on, or as we read here in verse 14, to hold fast our confession. The confession is that those things that we say we believe. I mean, this morning as we uh, confer- or affirmed our faith together, we confessed what we believe. We used the Apostles' Creed to talk about God as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Those weren't just mere words. Those weren't just quoting an old document that was written down. Those are the summations of the realities that we as Christians believe and hold to. And the author is charging his readers to press on in the faith, not to be hardened in their hearts in the face of such difficulties. But he's not just saying to them, just do it. But instead, the author here is seeking to bring these Christians comfort and to, to understand that they have help in their time of need. Because you see, God is able to keep you when you're not able to keep yourself. And so he's challenging them to rely upon the resources that God has given to them to persevere. And and we've seen a number of these already in the book of of Hebrews, but uh, let me just point out just a few. First of all, in chapter 3, verse 13, he talks about Christian fellowship. We as Christians have the body of Christ to exhort us and to encourage one another. As a matter of fact, he says later on in chapter 10, verse 25, don't neglect the meeting together. It's important. I mean, church is not just important because as a church we want you to come, but it it is God's work in the life of the believer to help hold us fast, to persevere in, in our faith. And if, if it feels to you strange that you're not here worshiping with us in this sanctuary this morning, it is weird. It is, it's not such that you ought to be home and worshiping. We're thankful that we're able to do this, but, God, but Christian fellowship is so important. But he also tells us that God has given us his word. In chapter 4, verse 12, he talks about the word that imparts life to us and stirs us up in our faith. But we see also in the word of God that, that it exposes our hearts for what it is. And we, as, even as Christians, can think more highly of ourselves than we ought. But the word of God shows us what truly is going on in the inside of us because we can't always tell. We think we know our heart, but our heart is very... Deceptive, And so he's given us that word to, to see who we are so that we might turn to him and trust in God and his character and the promises that we see that is given to us in his word. And so those are just a couple of resources. But he wants to go on to tell us of something more in verses 14 through 16. And that is prayer. 
prayer through which we come before God's very throne to receive the mercy and the grace we need to press on in the faith. Now, it, it, it's not like the writer is just saying, okay, guys, just pray. That's all you need to do. Just pray. Instead, he says, let me tell you about the one to whom you're praying. Let me tell you about your great high priest. Because you have such a great high priest who is already in heaven that even though you are a sinner saved by grace, you are a stranger in this world and you are struggling, you have hope that you will enter God's rest because he is such a great high priest. And so this morning I want us to look at this high priest that he talks about in these verses. And he tells us three things about our great high priest. First of all, he says our high priest is one who saves. He's one who saves. He says, since then, we have a great high priest. Now, the, the language here in, in these, just these couple of verses is just a full of, of pictures of the, from the Old Testament. I mean, actually, the entire book of Hebrews is that way. But, but these verses especially which would have resonated with these Jewish believers because they had grown up hearing and, and reading the Old Testament. And so these things would have struck home with them. But, but as they would have heard this phrase, since then we have a great high priest, it would have brought to mind the work of the high priest on behalf of the people of God in the Old Testament. If you remember in the tabernacle and in the temple, there were many priests who would serve before the Lord, but there was only one high priest uh, who would uh, enter into the Holy of Holies on one day a year on the Day of Atonement. He would make a sacrifice on behalf of the people of God for their sins to reconcile God's people with himself, and he would offer that sacrifice on their behalf. But, but we read here that Jesus is not just simply a high priest, but the great high priest. He, he's showing us that Jesus is superior to any human high priest that there is. And, and there's, we'll look at this topic later on, so we won't go much farther than that. But let it suffice to say that while a high priest would offer a, an animal sacrifice to the Lord, our, our high priest, Jesus Christ, offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of his people and reconcile them to God. If you look back at Hebrews chapter 2, Verse 17, he says here that Jesus had to become like us. He had to become human, flesh and blood like us so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. In other words, Jesus had to come and satisfy the wrath of God. That's what that big word propitiation means, to satisfy the wrath of God that was poured out on the sins of his people. And so Christ saved us. But as our great high priest, he, he not only saved us, but he also passed through the heavens. Um, the, here again, this is a, a contrast between Jesus as our great high priest and, and what a regular high priest was. And, and I would suggest to you in much the same way that the writer has been talking about how Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's now telling us that Jesus is even greater than Aaron, the first high priest. And, and as the high priest, Aaron would have gone to the altar, given the sacrifice, 
And then he would take the blood and he would go through the outer court, through the holy place, passing through the veil and out of sight of the people into the holy of holies, which represents the presence of God. And then he would have sprinkled that blood in the holy of holies. But the writer here is saying, but Jesus, our greater high priest, has penetrated to the very presence of God. He has passed through the heavenlies straight into the presence of God. And Jesus, in his ascension, passed out of sight of his disciples in much the same way that the high priest would have gone behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies. And Jesus Christ ascended through the heavenly regions to the actual throne room of God, um, which the Holy of Holies was just a mere copy of. Jesus, our high priest, is in the presence of God. And that's where he's going to take his people. Now, the verb, when it says he passed through the heavens, it's, it's actually in the perfect tense, which indicates an action in the past with an ongoing and continuous results. In English, what that means is that Jesus passed through the heavens and he is still there doing what he went there to do. So unlike the, the high priest who would go in and offer the blood and then come out of the Holy of Holies, Jesus remains there as our high priest before God himself. Now, brothers and sisters, this is important for us to grasp. I think it's so easy to just think, you know, Jesus died for me on the cross for my sins. Kids, I bet at home you, you say the same thing. Maybe even sometimes we can just sort of say it with a, a sense of familiarity that does sort of breed contempt. It's not that we don't appreciate or we're not thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. But maybe sometimes it's hard to translate that into a day-to-day -day life. Other than to think of ourselves as once maybe not being believers and now having a change of status and the fact that we are now in Christ. But, but what about those times when we are struggling in our faith? What about those times when we are, are wrestling? How does this come to bear upon us? You see, it is maybe in those times that we feel like we can't come to God in the prayer. That maybe we're not even worthy to come before God to pray. And to ask for his help. You know, we, we know what the writer said in verse 12. How God's word has exposed to us uh, that which lacks in our hearts. We see the hypocrisy in us. We see the pride in our hearts. And we think, God, I'm not worthy to be your child. And, and then we see in verse 13... Of chapter 4, that not only is that as our heart exposed to ourselves, but it is also our heart and our life is exposed to the God who judges us. And so what makes us think that God is going to listen to us? How could I ever come to him in prayer? It is because your high priest is in heaven. Jesus is in the presence of God pleading for his people. And so we must not think that what we think in our minds or what we feel in our emotions is what defines what's true. But we must understand and hold fast to our confession of faith, knowing that God is able to keep you when you're not able to keep yourself. 
So we have a high priest who saves us. But he also says that we have a high priest who sympathizes with us as well in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So the writer here uses a, a double negative, which can sometimes be very confusing. But he does that to stress the impossibility of the statement. What, what he's really trying to say is this. He wants us to walk away knowing that Jesus definitely sympathizes with his people and what they're going through. Because it can be easy to think that because our high priest is God, in verse 14 he, he actually calls him the son of God, and because he is exalted in heaven and he remains there, I, I don't see Jesus, and, and, and he's in heaven, that, that sometimes it's easy to think of him as removed from our daily toils and, and our daily struggles. And, and so, you know, maybe our struggle is not just that we feel unworthy to come before God, but maybe we think God doesn't really care. God's actually out of touch. He doesn't really understand what it is that we are going through. It's interesting, and I'll just point this out. If you look back at verse 14, you see that our high priest is not only described as the Son of God, but he's also called Jesus. And we might think that's his first name and Christ is his last name, but that's not true, okay? The, the name Jesus was the name that was given to the Messiah when he was born. And so Jesus points to his humanity. And so what he's saying there in verse 14 is, is that the, our high priest is Jesus, the Son of God, the God-man. He's fully God and, and he is fully man. And, and even though... The Bible describes Jesus, or the, Messiah, the high priest is, is Jesus. I think as, as Christians, even, it's easier for us to think of Jesus as God than it is as fully man. I think we sometimes wrestle with that. And, and even sometimes when we think of Christ's humanity, it can oftentimes be viewed in light as, of his divinity. And what I mean by that is this, that you know, sometimes if you refer to Jesus as, as a man, people will say, yeah, but he was also God. You know, almost as if uh, his humanity was a different kind of humanity than what we possess ourselves. But the writer here to the Hebrews wants to, to say, no, no, let me set the record straight. That's not right. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but... One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. So, so Jesus is not only fully acquainted with our human nature because he is God and he has made us, but he is touched with the feeling of our weakness. You see, he has been tempted in extent and range in every way as we have. Nothing and the human experience is foreign to him. And he has been tempted just as we are. Actually, I would suggest to you that he has been tempted more intensely than we have. And he actually has endured more intensely than we have. I mean, just take, for example, um, the fact that uh, Christ's uh, temptation in the wilderness with Satan. How many of us have been tempted by Satan face to face? 
And, and after 30 days of, of fasting and, and no bread, and yet he was. Or, or how many of us have, have struggled to the intensity that Jesus had struggled in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was going to the cross? So intense that he sweat drops of blood. Or, or even when Christ was on the cross. I mean, he is coming to the culmination of fulfilling his call by God of what he was sent to do and what he wanted to come to do for the Father. He's on the cross. And what is said to him? If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Even to the very end, he is being tempted. Now, now these are unique examples of, uh, or excuse me, these are examples of, of the unique temptations of the Son of God. But still, they were nonetheless temptations that came to him in his incarnation, his, his true humanity. I mean, when we think about temptations, temptations we endure are given to us in accordance with what we're able to bear. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen: No temptation has overtaken you, but that is uh, excuse me, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, it's not unique to you. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And we think about the trials and, and the temptations that we have gone through and how difficult those have been and, and how we, we feel like, well, I could never have stood had it not been for the strength that God had given to me. Now, take that and imagine the depth of the temptations that Jesus Christ endured. And I think, honestly, we, we can't. Yet he withstood the depth and the force of these temptations and overcame them as the sinless one. And so, in this, he sympathizes with us. He is touched with the, the, the feeling of our weaknesses. Now, when we use the word sympathy, we oftentimes think of, of feeling sorry for someone, maybe who has gone through some very difficult uh, circumstances. You know, maybe they've gone through hardships and our heart just goes out to them. And we just like, oh, I wish, oh, I just feel so bad for you. I wish I could, there's something that I could do. But maybe we don't really understand what they've gone through because we've never gone through that. But if you empathize with someone, then what you're saying to them, not only do I feel what you're going through, I actually have gone through that myself. And, and I understand uh, some of the struggles that you're going through. And, and, and your high priest understands what you're going through. He endured the full range of temptation, yet without sinning. Never once did his faith weaken. Never once did he disobey the Father. Think about that. That is the high priest, that is the sinless God-man who is our high priest in heaven and to whom we pray. He is the God who has the power to do something about it, and he is the man that understands what it is that we are going through. You see, basically what the author is wanting his readers to understand is, is that the Lord you serve, the Savior to whom you look to, is not distant from your trials, but he feels them with intimate acquaintance. He understands those trials. 
And, and not only that, you know, even the idea of empathy doesn't really quite get at the word for sympathy in the Greek. Actually, that word also entails with it the idea of actively helping in the midst of our weakness. And so Jesus sympathizes with us, not just empathizing, saying, hey, I have gone through this. I understand this. But there's a sense in which he comes to help his people. Look back at Hebrews 2.18. He said, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So, so Jesus is not disinterested or cold to what you're going through. He came to this earth and took on our humanity precisely so that he might now be able to sympathize with us. He is eminently able to represent you before the throne of the Heavenly Father, pleading your cause, securing your place, and procuring the spiritual resources that you need. So, brothers and sisters, if you are here today, I encourage you, don't give up. Because Christ is in heaven in human flesh, having endured what you have gone through now. And, and not only that, but even more, and yet without falling into sin. So, so cry out to him. I, I think oftentimes, as I have gone through uh, difficult times, maybe really, really, really hard times, and, and sometimes as I, as I go through those sufferings and those trials, I just think, you know, I don't think there's anybody else that understands what I'm going through. You know what I'm talking about? There's times when you just wish that people understood. You get lots of people around you that want to fix you and give you solutions. But people that understand you, that's rare. But Christian, I want you to understand that we can't say that about our high priest. That he doesn't understand. He does. He more than understands. He sympathizes with us and actively helps us. So he is uh, the high priest who saves us. He is the high priest who sympathizes with us. But he's also the high priest who sits. Yeah, you heard me right. He sits. And you think, okay, that sounds sort of anticlimactic. You know, because when we think of sitting, we think of just sort of taking it easy. We sort of think of, you know, inactivity. Uh, maybe even we think of laziness. I don't know. But, you know, we think of sitting. What, what good can that be? But look at verse 16. He said, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, what is this throne of grace that he's talking about? Well, it is the throne upon which Jesus sits in the splendor of his finished work upon the cross. Okay, in other words, Christ finished his work upon the cross and he sat down to say it's finished. Um, look at Hebrews Chapter 1, verse 3, speaking of Jesus, it says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so for Jesus, sitting is something pretty spectacular. He's saying that he has accomplished what he came to accomplish, and now he sits upon the throne to rule over all things. Now he is involved in the application of our salvation. I think oftentimes when we think about that, we think only it's the work of the Holy Spirit. But Christ also applies our salvation as well. And so now the author comes to us and he tells us that we should approach this throne of grace. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he means that we should come to God in prayer based on Christ's high priestly ministry. The fact that he has saved us, 
the fact that he sympathizes with us. And so we should come so confidently. Now, here again, the language to a Jew would have been very striking because the idea of this, this throne of grace reminds us that it is the place, you know, the place where we're coming to pray is the place where the, the blood was offered in the Old Testament. It is the mercy seat is what it means. Um, uh, it's that place between the cherubim. If you remember, in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. I know you're all thinking Indiana Jones right now. Uh, but, you know, thinking the Ark of the Covenant. And you have on the top these two cherubim and that covering, or that lid in between this cherubim. That was the mercy seat. And what he is saying is, is Christian, enter into the Holy of Holies. The place where the blood of Jesus Christ was. That's where God calls sinners to come and to meet with him. Where he comes to rule over us. And he says here that we are to draw near. That, that idea of drawing near. Here again, it's Old Testament language uh, found in Leviticus 16. If you remember when Aaron... Being the first high priest, he didn't understand how he was supposed to come into the Holy of Holies. God had to give him instruction saying, this is exactly how you do it so that that you don't incur my wrath. Unlike Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, who decided they were going to just barge in and just minister before the Lord any way they wanted to. And as a result, they lost their life. But. But it, so he tells Aaron how he is to draw near to God. And, and amazingly, in Christ, our high priest, we have that access, that ability to draw near confidently into his presence. Not, brothers and sisters, because we're worthy. Not because we've done something in particular or haven't done something. But it's because what Christ has done. So even though you may come this morning and, as I said, may feel timid to come to God, when you know that you're so prone to succumb to sin, he says to you, draw near. Draw near in your time of need. The access that we have is through our great high priest. And through him, we receive all the needed assistance in our pilgrimage to heaven. So we draw near with confidence that we may receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Brothers and sisters, we need that every day. As I said, Satan is seeking to attack us. We have our flesh that battles within us. We have the world that is seeking to conform us into his image. We need his grace and his mercy every day. His grace being that those gifts that we don't deserve to receive. And his mercy is him not treating us as we ought to. We ought to be outcasts. We ought to incur his wrath. And yet he shows us his great love, his great gentleness, his strength, his presence. God gives us these wonderful gifts. And it says here, as we draw near with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace um, to help us in our time of need. The, the idea here is, is that Jesus gives us help at just the right time, just when we need it. Maybe when we're struggling the most. It's in our weakness, as he says in verse 15. Jesus gives us just the help we need. And those times when we are most weak. Now, I think we need to also understand that when he tells us to draw near or to come into his presence, that actually that's in the present tense. And so it has with it the idea of let us continue to draw near. Let us continue to come into his presence. We have a, a friend. We have an advocate in the court of the Lord. And let us 
let that compel us to come before his presence and, and to pour out our hearts to him and to receive that which we need. Now, we may not always know what we need, and, and we may think we do, but we may not always. Even as human beings, we can be very weak in the midst of temptation, and we may cry out to the Lord for relief and for reprieve, and the Lord doesn't answer our prayer. And it's not that He doesn't care for us. He does. But He knows that what we need in that moment of temptation is not relief, nor reprieve, but it is strength. Strength to endure that temptation or that trial so that we might be made in, in his image. But our high priest, he knows what we need. He is here to help us because he is one that understands us. I, I appreciate what Dr. John Murray, how he put it. He said, he gives you his sympathy and help with an effectiveness that is nothing less than omnipotent compassion. Think about that. Omnipotent compassion. Omnipotent being all-powerful. Christ gives us his all-powerful compassion in those times of trial, and those times of struggle, and those times when we are wrestling with our faith. Think about that. Do you see God that way? Do you understand your high priest is one who gives you omnipotent compassion? What are you struggling with today? What, what are you wrestling with? Whatever it is, come to your Savior and your high priest who, who understands you and is able to help you in this time of need. Draw near to him, not, not simply because he understands you and, and what it is to be human or, or even that he knows your sin and your struggle with sin, but draw near to him because he knows what it's like to be you. He knows what it's like to face your temptations. You see, there's a, there's a human being like you sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty today. And he is your high priest. And when you come to him and you admit the things to him that you are afraid for anyone else to know. He won't sneer at you. He won't look down upon you with condescension. He won't say, you worm! How could you ever struggle with that? He will never say that. Instead, you're going to hear, I understand that. I was tempted that way too. See, it's, it's mind-boggling to think that the Son of God knows how you feel to be tempted because he was tempted like you in, in ways like you are. In fact, he has been tempted in ways, as I said earlier, that were even beyond what we were tempted. I think it's interesting that sometimes as Christians we're tempted to think, you know, God doesn't understand me. He doesn't understand what I'm going through. When in reality the truth is we don't understand what he has gone through for us. And he is there. So let us draw near to the throne of grace today. Let us cry out to him where we are to receive the mercy and the grace that you need to stand firm in your faith, to persevere to the end. Because God has given you all that you need to persevere. He is able to keep you when you're not able to keep yourself.
please bow with me.